Hello, guys, and welcome back for episode 17 of the Newbie Dentist podcast. I am super excited about this episode. I just finished editing it, and I think it's one of the best ones that I've had so far. A lot of fantastic, actionable tips, and I think you know you will get a lot of value from this episode. Uh, this guest that I have on today was actually introduced to me through a friend of mine, Zied, uh, who is a uh, dental student at the University of Melbourne, and he went over and shadowed Dr. Ali Saad. Uh, at Cosmetic Dentist underscore in Michigan over his Christmas break. And he told me to reach out to him because he was such a fantastic mentor and had so much valuable information that he passed on to him. So I reached out to Dr. Saad on Instagram and he was kind enough uh, to give us an hour of his time to talk about some dentistry, uh, talk about mentorship, talk about actionable tips to you know, executing on your vision, uh, a vision that you have for your practice and how you want to be practicing going forward. If you're a dental student, what you want to be doing after you're graduating, or even if you're an associate dentist who's currently working but is not necessarily happy with how you're working and have a different vision of how you want to be practicing in the future, I highly recommend listening to this episode. If you do enjoy this episode, please pass it on to your friends, your classmates, your colleagues. Uh, we're trying to do something special here with the Newbie Dentist Podcast, and I want things to grow and reach more and more people so we can help them out, provide value, and and really make a difference in our profession. So I really do appreciate you guys listening. Please uh, get in touch with me or Dr. Ali Saad at CosmeticDentist underscore on Instagram if you do have any questions, and we'll be more than happy to help you guys out. And uh, we'll just jump right in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello and welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. Your host, Dr. Omerizami. Uh, so, Dr. Saad, uh, why don't you give me a little bit of a background story about yourself, uh, you know, why you decided to do some uh, pursue dentistry and uh, your experiences in dental school and sort of the, if you had like that vision of, you know, where you are today while you're in dental school or like how things have sort of evolved after you graduated and started working. Sure. So, um, I, I was fortunate enough, I went to a graduation party for, uh, I had an older cousin that just graduated dental school from University of Michigan. Oh, nice. And at his graduation party, um, he actually gave a great speech there and just welcomed everybody for coming. And that speech really enlightened me initially because I, I got to see somebody that was a professional. I was only 16 years old at the time, junior in high school. And I got to see somebody that was really successful. And, you know, I wanted to know more. So I started shadowing him in his office and I kind of stuck to it and um, I ended up going to University of Michigan for undergrad Yeah, and I graduated a uh, degree in psychology, biology, mm-hmm. I ended up going on to Nova Southeastern in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay, nice. And that was, yeah, that was a great experience. I think, uh, I think um, you're the being, third, uh, third Nova grad I've had on this show. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, that. uh, it's a great pro. We're a class of 2006. So I don't know if you uh, interviewed anybody during that time. No, more, uh, yeah, like more recent grads. But uh, yeah, it seems to be a lot of uh, Nova grads uh, doing great things. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry I interrupted you there. No, not at all. Not at all. That was uh, great. We, we actually had a great class because I felt like we were very entrepreneurial-like. And, you know, a lot of us went on and did some great things. And uh, it's very cool 
going going there was awesome because I feel like that really ignited my taste for cosmetic dentistry because even though it was dental school and, and there's very limited exposure to cosmetic procedures there, yeah. I had some really good faculty down there. Um, one of them was Dr. Feigenbaum, uh, Norman Feigenbaum. He used to practice in New York City and was like a co- composite guru at the time uh, for composite veneers and whatnot. He was older when he was down at Nova, but still just learning from him um, helped to kind of promote me starting this uh, cosmetic dentistry uh, student portion for the school, which is really cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, for anybody listening, anywhere you go to dental school is not going to really dictate what you do when you get out of dental school. However, I think the mentors that you establish while you're in dental school really help kind of focus your mind on what it is that you like and don't like. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, so that was a great exposure. And one, one key highlight of dental school that, that I thought really changed everything for me was my last year in school, um, I invited Bill Dorfman out to my program to speak because I was um, one of the heads of the ASDA chapter there, the American Student Dental Association. Yeah. And at the time, Extreme Makeover, I don't know if you remember that show, but that was like yeah. a really big deal. And that's what kind of changed a lot of what we're seeing today in cosmetic dentistry as far as likability of, of dentistry as a whole. So um, he came out to my school. I got to really know him uh, through that time he was out there. He gave a great speech there. And then he invited me out to his office after. And so I was done with a lot of my clinical procedures very early. So I went out to California, spent some time with him out there. And I got to see how That's a cosmetic awesome. dentistry practice was. Yeah, that was a great, great experience. Mm-hmm. And um, also the the side of the business for him, because at the time, Zoom was booming, Zoom whitening. And yeah. so I got to see him as a businessman. I got to see him as a clinician. Um, and that was great for me. I, I feel like, to me, to this day, was one of the greatest experiences I've had yet so far. And seeing that and seeing how hard he worked, seeing how hard he worked as a businessman, how good he was with his patients, all that stuff really stuck to me. And I knew that um, I wanted to do something very similar. Yeah, that's awesome. So there's a couple of couple things uh, within that that I want to sort of uh, initially talk about here. Um, you mentioned that, you know, the role of mentors, uh, you know, in dental school. And um, I think, I mean, obviously, in any stage of life, uh, mentors uh, can have a like really pivotal role in like your development, right? And um, so how did you, and I know it's like a big question for a lot of people, it's like, how do you find these mentors? How do you approach them? Um, how do you build that relationship where, you know, you feel comfortable asking someone, you know, can I you know, pick your brain? Can I spend some time with you? Can I shadow you? Um, so if you have some advice for the listeners about that side of things of, you know, finding a mentor and, and harvesting that relationship and using it, um, so I guess maximum potential, that'd be awesome to hear. Sure. Um, and I have, I think a great answer for that because I've mentored several people, you know, most people coming out of dental school are very fearful of, of that exact thing, like asking for mentorship, right? Yeah. They're, they're so concerned about their student that they're so concerned about how much money they're going to make. They're so concerned about what type of practice they'll be in. But I think first and foremost, focus on what it is that you want to achieve in your career. And if you find a mentor by Googling them, hearing about them, asking about them, whatever it may be, don't be scared to ask. And I think providing value to that mentor of some sort, if, you, if it's 
you know, at this day and age, if it's helping them with their social media, if it's helping them put together certain lectures, if it's helping them with photography um, or whatever it is that you might bring to the table, I'm, I'm sure there's some trait that you could bring to the table. For sure. Yeah. I think that becomes a win-win mentor relationship. That way they're not just doing all the legwork for you. Because remember, a lot of these uh, mentors per se are very busy people in the private practice. And I I mentor a, a lot of students, a lot of dentists, even for that matter. Um, every week I have somebody in my office and, you know, there comes a point where it becomes too much, right? Yeah. However, the students or, or the young doctors that are coming out of school that are re- really providing a lot of value, I have this dentist that helps me create some videos and I never asked for it, but he was like, look, can I do this? That way I can be around you more and hang out and see more of the cases you're doing and how you're presenting. See how you're running that. the office. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's really good advice because I had a student that came in on Monday to my office. I just gave a lecture at U of D, Mercy, and she was there, and she, she came into my office. She really has no dental experience. She wants to go to dental school, and she wants to be my dental assistant. Mm-hmm. Well, she's probably going to, you know, another year she'll be in dental school, hopefully, and for me to spend the time training her by the time she goes on, it's, yeah. it's not going to be worth it as a business component. However... I see the hunger in her. I see the drive. I admire that because I was the same way. And she has the right attitude. She's not concerned about money per se. She's yeah. more concerned about what can I actually get as far as value. And and I told her, I said, look, you know, here right now, these are the needs of the practice. If there's a way you can fit those needs, that would be great. You're welcome to shadow. However, you know, I have so many other people coming in, so I, I can't give you like a full-time shadowing experience here. I just can't do it. Yeah. But um, even if it's not with me, this is what I would do if I were you. So I think, I don't know if that answers the question, but I think providing value, seeing what you can actually bring to them, and then also seeking what it is that you want to take from that experience. I know most people think, well, I just want to learn about cosmetic dentistry. <laughs> well, yeah. the experience is much more than that because you're, you're watching how that doctor manages, leads his team, how he inspires his patients to... Um, you know, believe in more than just the regular dental work. What is he or she doing to actually present these cases the proper way? How is his communication with the ceramist? How is he actually, you know, what does he do outside of work? Like, is he a family man? Is he taking care of himself, like from a health component, eating healthy? Like all these things, I I personally believe impregnating your mind and then eventually you want to emulate that process and obviously form your own way. But those are good solid foundations your first five years out of school to really get so um and and i'll kind of leave it with this but when i got out of school i found a great mentor who was based in michigan where i practice in a very affluent area but he was also based in new york city so he's in manhattan and there so it was awesome experience for me because i got to see you know the big city and the small city and how they work together i got to see how he dealt with different types of patients both high caliber type of people um, and I got to see how his lifestyle was. And I think that was, um, such a great exposure for me. That's awesome. And you bring up a lot of really good points there about, uh, providing value. I know, uh, when we, uh, you know, when we first met and we were talking on Instagram, uh, I asked if you're a fan of, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and I know he's, uh, I, I know asked Gary V he's got that, uh, VaynerMedia company going and he, and he's a big proponent of that, of, you know, you can't just approach someone and be like, what can you do for me? You have to approach someone with the mindset sure. of what value can I bring you? And then in return, you know, obviously I'm going to, I'm going to learn from you and from your experiences. So absolutely. Um, like, like how long, how long have you been out of school? Ahmed? Um, I just, I think today would be my first, it's my one year anniversary actually working. So I just got out of school. 
Congrats. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So, so what you'll start to notice, and I'm sure you'll be in the same position when you're out for five years or so, I've been out for 12 years. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to get a lot of people that will come up to you and start saying, just like you're asking me, like, what is it that you did? Right. Mm-hmm. And there, there are going to be some things that you find that, you know, if, if I could only do if I only had the time to do this and to have a younger doctor or younger, um, somebody that's a student that's aspiring to do what you're doing to provide that value, it really is a win-win situation. And, and it, it, it's a give and take mentorship is give and take, because I believe that you should pass that elevator back down 100%. I mean, you, you gave your oath to God to say, if I became successful, I'll help others. You should do that 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, but also, if you can get something to help you to, you know, continually inspiring other people by the help of that mentee, that's a huge component, I think. And I, and I think I agree with what Gary's saying in that situation, that the value that you bring to the table is so critical. Yeah, for sure. So the uh, next thing, I, again, from your initial uh, introduction that I, wanted, I picked up on and I wanted to elab- uh, you to elaborate on a little bit is um, like having that vision in dental school. And this is something that I've been talking to a lot of different uh, guests on the podcast recently. Uh, because for myself, and not that said I had no vision, but I think my the vision I had for, you know, when I graduate, I was really like focused in like, you know, third and fourth year. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to be a practice owner. Like I like the business side of things a lot. Um, so most of my, you know, free time sort of outside of classes and studying was, you know, listening to like business podcasts, reading business books, um, you know, like Howard Ferenz, like 30 day dental MBA, uh, that kind of thing. And obviously when I, when I got out of school, um, you know, life circumstances, you know, my wife's like, um, starting her residency. So we're having a bit of like geographic uncertainty of like where we're going to be, um, long-term or short-term for that matter. Um, so you know, my vision's like shifted a bit and we're, we're to the point where I'm now like you know, doing the podcast and, and tr- trying to get that like side hustle sort of thing going, uh, just to have that sort of business thing going still while I'm, you know, working as an associate. But clinically I had no vision. I didn't know like what kind of work I want to be doing, what demographics I want to be working with. Um, if I'm doing just, you know, run of the mill family dentistry or if I want to do cosmetic dentistry or if maybe if I want to specialize. So um, you mentioned in dental school pretty early on, like you, you know, you, you had that vision of, I want to do cosmetic dentistry. I want to do high end stuff. Um, you know, you're, you're part of the, as the, as the, in your area and you bring in like uh, well-known like composite, uh, lectures and gurus. So where did you initially have that vision and where did you have that confidence of like, yep, yeah, this is like the path for me. And like, I'm hundred percent going to stick to it as I sort of, uh, go through dental school, graduate and, and buy a practice and all that. So, yeah. So first off, really quick, going back. In your situation, you know, you doing what you're doing now with this podcast and you working as an associate in a practice and, um, you know, don't look at that as like, well, if, if my wife wasn't in residence, I could be in this geographical location because believe me when I tell you, everything you're learning right now and the fact that you're doing the side hustle with this podcast and you are a true business person, 100%. So just because you don't own your practice the first year out of school, yeah, that's 100%. Um, you know, because I know a lot of people that got out of school that, that, you know, opened up a practice that weren't very successful because nobody really taught them how to run that business. So they learned at their own expense and instead yeah. of having 200 grand worth of debt, they were in debt a lot more. So mm-hmm. um, in my scenario, I worked as a dental assistant while I was partially in high school and partially in college. And I worked with um, two different dentists at the time. 
And that was great exposure for me because I got to see what a true general dental practice was like. Yeah. And I knew, I knew when I got out, I liked, I liked general dentistry. Um, I didn't love it so much. So when I got into dental school, I started shadowing all the specialties when I was in, I was like, do I like ortho? Do I like pros? Do I like, and, um, even pedo, you know, there's a lot of things I like. And one thing I noticed is I like people. I love that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but I've always had a sense of, you know, I like dressing nice. I love taking care of myself. I like beauty. I like aesthetics. I mean, those are things that I always had in me. I was just like one of those things I just enjoyed. Yeah. And that kind of drew me into that location because I would look at things when we would talk about anything cosmetic in our, in our lectures. And I just felt like I picked up on things differently than some of my classmates would. Not that it was any better or worse, but I don't know. I just felt like I had a keen sense for that. Mm-hmm. And, but more importantly, I, I, I truly believe it was aligning myself with the right mentorship while in school, while out of school. So if you don't get that while you're in school, you know, pay your dues and get it while you're out of school, even if you make no money doing it and you, you do a side hustle working somewhere else in a clinic, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, if you, even if it's just one day a week with this dentist that you really admire and you want to emulate what, what they've created, do for the stars and just do it. Seriously. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so another thing just came up was, uh, obviously, you know, you said you graduated in 2006, is that right? Right. Yeah. So when you graduate, like the whole social media thing wasn't really like a factor yet um, in like in regular life and certainly like not in dentistry. Um, nowadays, though, you know, it's 2018 um, and, you know, Instagram's huge for dentistry. Facebook's huge for dentistry. Um, obviously, there's a lot of like websites as well, but um Instagram in particular, because I'm pretty active on there and you know, I've been connecting with a lot of dentists around the world. The opportunity for mentorship and learning on Instagram is like unbelievable because it's so, everyone seems more approachable. Um, you just, you know, you like a couple of their pictures, you like what they're doing, you, uh, you can get, send them a DM and for the most part, people are pretty good at getting back to you. So what advice would you have for someone? Like I know, um, like we've already talked about this a little bit about like providing value, but how do you, like, have you put much thought into like the social media space right now um, in terms of mentorship maybe? Because I know, like, I'm sure people message you on your Instagram page all the time as well. But how are you finding that shift of um, real life mentorship, uh, face-to-face interaction, um, where with the millennials, we're a bit more maybe shy and a lot of people are um, hesitant to do that face-to-face. So they're, you know, resorting to social media means to do that. No, it's a great question. Um, you're right. So I get a lot of questions on my DM, um, a lot of clinical questions, a lot of suggestions. Can you post more of this? We'd like to learn more about that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's challenging sometimes because you want to provide that because I know what they're what the younger dentists are going through when they're coming out of school. They want to learn these things, but it's also a marketing tool for the general public. And you know, it, it's I don't want to get too clinical on there because it, it kind of defeats the whole point. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I've had, I mean, one of your friends was, uh, came and shadowed me all the way from Australia. Yeah, Ziad, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I did. And so I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'll be in your area, you know, next month. And I was wondering if there's a day we could pick where I could just come shadow you for a morning or something like that. And, you know, I don't think there's really much to it. I really don't. I think people make it more complicated than it has to be. Yeah. And look, if somebody's going to, if somebody's going to push you off, um, they're either, they're either very busy at that defined moment 
doing something bigger or, or maybe they're just really tied up with patients or maybe the patient pool at that specific week or month is not the right patient pool to be observing uh, for whatever reasons it may be. Or they just might not be the right person to mentor you to begin with. And um, But I also wouldn't give up either because, you know, people that are really sought after are getting these DMs and private messages all the time. And I think what really helps them to stand, like when you messaged me, for instance, right? What, yeah. what I was really intrigued by was the fact that, okay, this guy's been out for about a year. He's doing this podcast. He's trying. Like, I, I personally love that. I admire that a lot because there's one thing to talk about something and there's a whole nother thing about actually doing something. Yeah. And even if something's not a true success yet, as far as like, oh, I have, you know, 500,000 followers with my podcast. I don't give a shit. Like, to me, the fact that you are actually pursuing it and you're actually looking to inspire others, even if this is a business where you're going to make money on it, I admire that. So, I don't know. To me, that's, that's, that's my answer. I don't know how others would feel about it. but Yeah, that, that no, that's perfect. And actually, it leads me perfectly into what I want to talk uh, to you next about. And that's like the execution of things, right? So, um, you know, for the first half, we've you know been talking a fair bit about vision and finding mentorship. Um, but I feel like you can have all the knowledge and all the you know, ambition in the world, but, um, like results like speak, right? So, um, when you graduate from dental school, you mentioned, you know, you're working back in Michigan with a you know, pretty prominent dentist who works in a couple of locations. Um, what was like your mindset, like coming out of school, like what timelines did you have for yourself of like, yeah, I'm going to work for X amount of years and then I'm going to open a practice and I'm going to open like, um, am I going to open multiple practices? Am I going to have like side businesses? Like when did all these like moving parts sort of, uh, come together and, and how has like that vision changed, like in terms of like the, the details of it, like you can be like, yeah, I want to be a cosmetic dentist, but that's like a vague sort of vision, right? Like how did you uh, put everything in motion and how did you start executing on these, on these goals after you graduated from dental school? Uh, that, that's a great question. Um, so a lot changed because for one, 2006, was a rough time to graduate dental school yeah. <laughs> because of what happened with the economy, right? Especially yeah. in Michigan. I mean, Michigan's such a blue collar state. Hard, yeah. It got really hit hard. I mean, I left South Florida. I was in LA for a little while. And then I come back to Michigan. I'm like, this sucks. You know, like everybody's telling me, why are you back here? Mm -hmm. um, I was born and raised here and my family's from here. So it meant a lot for me to be here. And you know what? There wasn't really much of aesthetic dentistry being done here. And I felt like, you know what, if somebody's going to do it, why can't it be me? That was the mentality I had. Well, the mentality I had and what really happened <laughs> didn't work out the same because <laughs> well, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, I mean, that, those were rough years to be here. Yeah. So I, I can't, initially I wanted to practice within my first year. I was like, let me work for somebody for a year, then get out and do this. And I'll never forget this. Um, the dentist that mentored me initially told me this. He goes, look, he goes, I know you want to do cosmetic dentistry, but you have to pay your dues first. And I hated hearing that yeah. because what he was basically saying to me is you got to do all the stuff that you probably don't want to do first before you can actually do the stuff that you really love to do. Get and yeah. to this day, it's, it's so true. And I use that line all the time because, you know, if you don't know how to do that root canal, what are you going to do if you're prepping a 10 unit case and that patient needs a root canal? What are you going to do? Send them out? I mean, you're going to lose a lot of trust there, especially in your initial years. Yeah. I think it's important that you understand the foundation of dentistry first. So mm -hmm. I, I, I stuck to a vision. I did want to have a very high end aesthetic practice. 
that's what I really wanted. It didn't work out that way initially because I was working just in regular general practices. I mean, I had to make a living too, right? Yeah. Um, I thought about moving out of state. I definitely considered it. I had a lot of friends in Texas working, doing Medicaid, making a ton of money. But you know what? I went down there for, for a weekend and I saw what it was about. I didn't enjoy it. And my parents were always firm believers, just do what you love. And they said, look, the money's enticing, but just think long-term, where do you want to be? Yeah. And I stuck to that. I really did. That, that meant a lot to me. So when I came back um, to Michigan after that weekend, um, I started, that's when I started to get really formal mentorship. And um, I worked with a dentist two days a week. I didn't even make any money while I was there. I worked in another practice three days a week where I did make my money. And, you know, I ended up in 2011. Um, in 2006, let's go back. 2006, I actually printed out a ton of resumes. And I would go to the areas I wanted to practice in. And where I practice now is Birmingham, Michigan. It's the richest city in all of Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I passed out resumes there. I mean, literally every three months, I'd pass out my resume. I'd go in there physically, yeah. hand the resume to the front desk person. If, if some dentist was around there, I would actually introduce myself to them. And I wanted to get beyond my resume, beyond a piece of paper, because I wanted to do something that was different. So in order to do something that was different, I had to present myself differently, which was not mailing in my resume, but formally going in there myself. Putting in the work. And yeah, yeah, putting in the time, putting in the work. So in 2011, the dentist that had my resume from 2006 calls me. And he's (laughs) like, look, I have this associate that's leaving. Um, I have a a good practice, a general practice, but it's an area you want to be in. Do you want to meet and talk? And I did. And... Um, I ended up buying his practice. It was a general practice in a great area, yeah. but I saw a lot of potential there. So I took the tools that I learned from my mentor who was in a very boutique three operatory practice. This, uh, this office is eight operatories and, you know, go forward. I have five dentists there working with me now wow, and nice. I own a few dental practices and I never would have thought that was my goal initially because I, I mean, to me, I, I wanted three ops a high-end dentistry and that's all I wanted to do but now here I am in eight ops with a few practices and I'm only doing aesthetic dentistry uh, in that chair that I work in so I think your goals do change um, over time because you start to see a bigger picture yeah um, but but I initially I'll tell you this I had I had a student ask me this last uh, at my last lecture he said if you can go back what would you do differently and I said nothing because Every experience that I had led me up to this point. And, and believe me, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always growing. I'm always seeking good mentorship. Um, so hopefully that helps. That's awesome. No, that's really good. And uh, that's something that I've been thinking about too, because um, um, like I mentioned to you, I might be uh, moving back to uh, Australia because my wife's like uh, probably doing her residency over there. And uh, at first, you know, I was a bit upset because I was like, oh, I've like, been here for a year, I've, like build all these connections. I'm like, building up a patient base, like things are going well, finally, like it takes some time to get going. Right. Um, but then I, I thought about, it, I was like, well, it's like an opportunity for like a fresh start. And like, I can pretend like I've just done like a one year residency in like general dentistry. Um, you know, picked up a lot of skill cause I've been working a lot of work, like pretty much seven days a week for the past year. And I know now that like what I didn't know in dental school and what is, what it is, is that like, I want to do, I don't want to do like patch up dentistry, uh, I don't want to do necessarily like, you know, just like veneers all the time, but I want to do like proper high-end dentistry. You know, uh, if a tooth needs a crown, I'm going to do crowns. I want to do, take my time and, and do good work and everything like that. So I'm kind of going into, back into Melbourne with like, this is, 
new vision and new expectations and, and new goals. Um, so it was nice that, you know, you mentioned that you worked in a general office doing cosmetic dentistry, uh, because I think from what I'm hearing, cause I asked this question to a lot of people who are doing aesthetics is, you know, can you graduate and sort of, you know, go to like, um, like, you know, the Bay street equivalent in like New York or, and be like, I want to work like right downtown in the city, like in a, you know, like a boutique firm, like you said, and do that aesthetic dentistry. Cause you might not necessarily have like the pedigree to do that or the experience or the hand skills to do that. Yeah, I think I, I yeah. think more than that, Omid, before you go on, it's not yeah. so much just the clinical. It's you have the presentation style to even diagnose that. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, you providing value to that patient coming in there saying, hey, I have a chipped anterior tooth. You know, you, if you're going to do a, a four surface composite on there, that's not going to cut it. I mean, you have to understand the functional aspect behind that. Why is that tooth chipping? Why the last dentist place the bonding there that keeps coming off? And that's how you go from anterior bonding to a 20-unit case. And it's not really sales. It's really just seeing a bigger picture. So I think that takes time to develop. And, you know, you could probably prep a veneer better than 10 other people. But if if one of those people actually sees a bigger picture, it doesn't matter how well you prep that veneer because you're not going to be doing it anyways. Yeah, that's awesome. So that was the the thing I was sort of trying to lead to is, you know, if you're working, if you're lucky enough to be working in a sort of affluent area where once you develop these skills, the case acceptance can potentially be there. People can't afford it. Um, and that's, I think that's like the, you know, the golden practice that most people want to try and get into is um, they're doing dentistry, they're doing general dentistry, but if the opportunity is there, like they can, they can take it if they want it. Right. Um, similar to what you had in, uh, in Birmingham, Michigan, when you, when you're working. So where can I, where can, you know, me and other new grads, you know, what's C, what CE courses, what, uh, case case acceptance courses should we be taking to like get that you know larger vision that you just mentioned um, to sit down in front of a patient and and go from you know you have like a you need an MOD on like you know upper first molar you need this you need that to like yeah I think you know you have a lot of issues going on we need to do like a full mouth rehab or you need like you know six veneers on top like where does that tipping point come where you have that comfort level and that diagnostic skill uh, to present like you know a case from like $3,000 to all of a sudden like $20,000, $25,000 doing that bigger work that, you know, you ideally want to be doing. I'm a firm believer in purchasing somebody else's practice. You have the goodwill there. You have the patient base already in the chair. You have that patient coming in for hygiene. Um, and I think I speak for the majority of dentists out there that are not in Manhattan or Los Angeles where they're not really a boutique style practice. They actually have hygiene, which is a, uh, a big yeah. portion of general dentistry, right? Yeah. But you can carve out your own niche within that and still provide the type of work you want to do. So I think, I think your belief system is the most important aspect. And what I mean by that is if your wife came in to see you and she needed a, an, she had an MODL on a molar, for instance, yeah. right? I would imagine you'd probably be looking at doing a porcelain onlay or a crown on her, depending on what the most conservative is for her versus just doing a composite resin, correct? Yeah, for sure. So most dentists that I've worked with or mentors believe that as well. But then when they go present to a patient, they want to talk about doing a composite filling on them, Mm -hmm. which is beyond me. I'm like, so to me, I always use that as a, as a, as kind of a, a base point and say, look, if you want to be ethical, you want to put that white coat on, you want to do what's truly right for your patients, do what you would do for your own family member, your own spouse. 
So I don't care if you're in a high-end area or if you're in a middle-class area, whatever it may be, you don't have to be doing full mouth reconstruction, but it's the same analogy with a bridge over an implant. If you truly believe the standard of care is an implant over a bridge, and you have two virgin teeth adjacent to that space, and you have the right amount of bone, and there's no complications there, why would you even present a bridge to that patient? For what reason? Would you do that for your mom? Would you do that for your wife? You probably wouldn't. Yeah. So for you to even present that to a patient, in my mind, is unethical, not the standard of care. And so it's really getting down to the foundation of what your true beliefs are. And we all have those beliefs. We were all taught those things. And I think most people are like, well, what course can I take to kind of learn that better? And yeah, there's refinement, of course, and to yeah. learn how to actually prep that uh, crown better or whatever. But for the most part, Omid, you know the basic principles, but most of us walk into a room, we wonder what type of insurance the patient has, and then we start basically diagnosing on that versus yeah, saying, okay, the problem. Yeah. they're here to see me. I'm honored that they're in my chair. I'm going to provide them with the best care. And it doesn't have to be, well, Ali, you're doing 20 veneers on these patients that you can't relate to my practice. Well, of course I can. Because if, if a patient comes to you and, and you're seeing wear and you're seeing issues going on and, and you know it's probably attributed to the way the teeth are aligned and you're not talking about Invisalign, but you're talking more about just getting a night guard, well, that's patchwork versus fixing foundational issues, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if that answers the question, but I'm a firm believer in you know, using your, your mentality and your mind on what it is that you would do for your own self, your own spouse and applying that to your patients, which I think is fair treatment for everyone. No, that's, that's amazing. And, and I think that's exactly it because, um, you know, as a new grad, like I, I don't have, I feel like personally, like I'm sure it resonates with a lot of other people is um, I don't necessarily have the confidence right now, like in presenting like such a big case or even like maybe like in my own like clinical skills, you know, just being like one year out um, to walk into a room and see like, you know, occlusal wear, see some like failing amalgams and, knowing that the right thing to do would be like, yeah, we need like, you know, eight crowns and like Invisalign and, and all this to be, to even present that case to the patient. Cause I feel like you would lose the patient's like trust and certain to be like, what do you mean? I came in here for like a cleaning all of a sudden, like you're presenting like this, like $30,000 like case to me. Like, well, uh, well, let me ask you stop right there for a minute. Let me just, yeah. cause this is exactly what I do with my doctors that, yeah. that work with me. So, right away you're you're second guessing what is so in your mind you're thinking well I'm, you know i don't want to talk about this because it sounds salesy to them or, or it's too much money or whatever it is yeah first and foremost like i said before if you don't believe in it you shouldn't be presenting it yeah so i'll give you a good example if you notice that you know seven through ten or six through eleven are all worn down on a patient or they're chipped or they have bonding there and you look at the lower anteriors and you see that there's bonding that's been placed on the side lodges all these years right yeah so you may look at that and say to yourself, okay, well, there's obviously a history here. What's going on? Is this person biting on pencils? Is he chewing his nails? Is he grinding his teeth? Is it, well, what's going on there? Why is he in this present state, right? Yeah. Um, and, and just to have an open discussion, you know, hand, when he's in hygiene, hand that patient a mirror and just say, where, you know, how'd you end up with this? Like, where did this start? The patient's going to have a story. You're opening up a dialogue. That's awesome. You're opening yeah. up, you know, you know what I'm saying? You're kind of taking them back and you're actually learning what it is and you're diagnosing as they're talking to you about what it is. And I don't grind my teeth anymore. Well, that's, you, you know, very well, that's not true. And when they tell you, well, my dentist just did this to make, make them look nicer or 
um, yeah, I ground my teeth, they were all chipped away, and this is exactly what happened. Well, now you have kind of a, a template to work with, and you got to start to look at it. Well, are the teeth, are they, the jaws moving in certain ways, and that will never change, but are the teeth so crooked that this is creating a worse habit for them, and it's only going to continually get worse, and he's going to keep coming back to replace those bondings. So if I were to realign those teeth properly, and that jaw still goes in that same direction, would those teeth glide over each other, or are they going to still bang into one another? Yeah. And looking at it from that mindset, you've already diagnosed somebody to say, okay, besides picking a better material porcelain, forget that for a minute. Actually getting down to the blueprint of building that house first, right, before you pick out furniture. And say to yourself, okay, the foundation of the building blocks are his functional issues. And the fact that his teeth are so misaligned, it's creating bigger issues for him. So if I can actually fix that for him and put him into a retainer, over time, he's going to be much better off. And then at that stage, if we want to replace material with a stronger material, with a better material like porcelain, we can always discuss that. Does that make sense? That's awesome. No, that's perfect. I think that's exactly something that... Um, I haven't been doing and I need to like start doing it. And I'm sure like a lot of other new grads aren't because we, I think I'm, I'm still stuck in the mindset of like, you know, like that single tooth diagnosing dentistry kind of thing. Sure. Um, and I'm like missing that like overall larger picture too. And, uh, and you remember your team, yeah. your team, Omid, your staff that's there and the doctor yeah. that's there, don't assume they're doing it right. They're doing a lot of good because yeah. you're obviously busy there, right? But don't assume that your way is the wrong way and their way is the right way. Learn what you can from them. But look, and ask any, any successful dentist that, that had some form of mentorship and that was with a bigger name or whatever it may be, they're doing things differently than their mentor was. And they're bringing in a different flavor into that practice because, once again, their belief systems are different than the older mentor that was there. It wasn't that the older guy was wrong. It was that the new guy coming in has different beliefs, a different set of beliefs. And, and a perfect example is the older guy was taught to do bridges and then yeah. not that they're not doing implants, but you know what I'm saying? As an example, yeah. you know, and, and it was so taboo for an adult to get ortho back in the day. And now it's, it's normal, it's common, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and I speak from experience because um, some of my offices are not in high-end areas, and um, it's the same thing there. And I, I talk to my associates. I say, look, talk about an implant versus a bridge. Talk about, um, you know, an onlay versus a four-surface filling, which is going to last you longer, and go through the steps there. So a lot of role-playing helps. You know, a patient might ask you this. This is how to respond to this. And just having a consistency with your assistant and your team, once the doctor believes firmly on a certain type of diagnosis, that doctor could then teach the team to rally around them as far as what their philosophy and culture is in that practice. Yeah, that's awesome. So in terms of um, actionable tips, because uh, you know, us millennials, we like quick, quick uh, answers to things. Um, you know, for a new grad who's been working for a little bit now, so they've got their, their feet wet, they're, you know, doing, you know, they're doing restorative, they're doing endo, um, they're doing some extractions. What, and they want to sort of transition into like you said, they want to like get into a more holistic view, uh, get that blueprint going. Uh, what is the first skill that they should, <clears throat> they should be developing? Um, is it going to be like case acceptance courses? Would it be like taking like photography to get better records to present to the patient? So what's like, what's a first actionable tip that you would have for someone who wants to transition from like single tooth dentistry to a more like over, over, overall like view and treatment planning for the patient? I'm just trying to think like what helped me to see things bigger, but photography yeah. is huge. That's yeah. for sure. Because 
even with photography, when you go back in your room and you actually start looking at things, I think you start noticing things differently. Um, look, take courses, but don't get intimidated when you're taking those courses. Um, like my mentorship has helped me more than taking any course, Mm -hmm. um, because it was real time. I got, I got to see the pros and cons of doing certain things because years of uh, the other doctors work that starts to come apart, which is normal. I mean, when you do a lot of full mouth cases, you're going to have things that chip, you know, posts come out and bites fail, whatever it may be. That built my confidence a lot. So, you know, photography is great. Um, I think taking courses are great, but don't get intimidated by the person next to you or the teacher that's teaching the course. And um, just know it's not about how well, like I said earlier, you're going to prep that crown. It's more about finding a way to expand your vision beyond and not even looking at like, okay, how do I go from one tooth dentistry to multiple teeth? It's really looking at this comprehensively as a whole from starting today. And even if that you're not going to be, I don't look at it as case acceptance. I mean, I look at that once again, as like, Oh yeah, my manager goes back and presents the case and all that. No, it's, it's really like when I look at a patient, I truly look at them comprehensively and see what it is going on. Obviously if there's patient comes to you and, you know, there's one small issue going on, earn their trust, yeah. fix that issue that's bothering them. And then when you sit them back up in the chair, they've seen that you really give a good injection. You're really caring. You've taken your time. And now you can actually hand them a mirror once again and start looking at things as, hey, have you ever looked at, you know, some of the things that are going on here or the, the wear that's going on here, or the discoloration in your teeth? And when does this start? Establish dialogue. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question because that's a tough one to answer because it really depends. And, and, you know, Omid, yeah. the other thing is too, sorry, sorry to cut you up, but like, right, instead yeah. of a dentist, D, instead of a dentist DMing me about what shade did I use that's trying to learn about aesthetic dentistry, mm-hmm. a better question to ask is, what did you see there that took, that took that patient with bonding on eight and nine to 10 unit veneer case? What did you see? What did you yeah. say to them? Like, yeah. what was your thought process? And thought process is the critical role of, uh, you know, seeing what it is that they're seeing and you look at some of the big dentists that are out there doing big aesthetic dentistry cases, um, regardless of, of the look of it at the end, like what is their thought process that's actually engaging these patients to go to that extra step? Yeah. And that's really the key. And that's, that's, that's once again question, why yeah. I keep saying it is, it really is. So being around that is so critical. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the best, the best, I think, takeaway advice uh, at the end of this episode is, um, mentorship is the key. I think if you know, this is what you want to be doing, um, you know, cause you can spend as much time like taking courses and, and, you know, learning the perfect photography skills or shade matching or uh, finding a good ceramist and all that. I think you still need to see someone doing it, doing it well uh, over a long period of time and, and sort of like seeing how they, you know, to interact with the patient, how they create that dialogue, how they um, diagnose like holistically and everything. So I think that's the, that's like the thing I'm going to take away from, uh, from this conversation is I'm going to you know when I get to Melbourne, I'm going to try and seek that out and, and find it. Cause it's hard to just, yeah, like open a practice or join a practice and be like, okay, I'm going to do cosmetic dentistry. I want to do like veneers. Cause like, you don't know how to get from A to Z. Right. So, um, I, right. Right. It's, to, it's like, thanks a lot for that information. And I think, I think that's the best actionable action tip from this is like find someone, um, who's, who's doing what you want to be doing and sort of follow in their footsteps a little bit and and along the way you can tweak it to obviously how you want to do things or do things better or differently um that's awesome so you mentioned uh, you're going next week uh, to chicago to present um 
so what else are you got going on apart from like outside of clinical dentistry right now? Um, I know you've got a few side hustles yourself. So, so if you want to just uh, touch on those for the last little bit of the show, that'd be awesome to see what else you're uh, doing outside of clinical dentistry. So my brother and I teamed up with a supply company uh, called Midway Dental. They're big in the Midwest, um, similar to Patterson and Shine, smaller scale. And uh, we created a a staffing website called staffingdental.com. And it's still early stages now, but we're trying to fix the issue that we all have as far as finding staff, because I think the two biggest problems that we face in our industry are are staffing and technology issues that you run through day to day. Yeah. And so we're trying to make a very low cost model, uh, like a subscription based model where you can go online and it could be like a match.com for finding staff. You build a profile and the dentist employer can actually see who here is hiring as far as a temp or permanent hire. And it's just one flat fee. So I'd like to see this really take off. I I think it can really help the industry as a whole. And um, as you get out into your own practice one day and you're starting to look for staff, you'll see how challenging that could be. And all of us face that. And even with the best culture, you you will have turnover. There's no question. And you want to make sure that when you build a good culture and you spent all this time really training them, on supporting you, you want to make sure that the new person you bring in fits that uh, culture that you've already established that fits you, right? So that's one big thing that we're working on um, right now. So that's awesome. So you're going to go present that. And um, um, I'll definitely put a link for that on the show notes as well. Um, so uh, Dr. Saad, uh, thank you so much for you know giving me an hour of your time this morning. Uh, we went uh, over a lot of, it was a, bit, a lot of big topics we talked about, but I think there's a lot of uh, really good uh, tidbits of information in there for, for the listeners. Um, so if people want to reach out to you, uh, who listen to the show, what would be the best way that uh, they can do that? I think the best way is just go on my Instagram, um, cosmetic dentist underscore. And, um, I'm pretty active on there. So I think it's a good learning tool as well for, for dentists sure. that are new out of school. And, yeah. uh, that would be the best way. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, uh, hopefully we'll do another one down the line and, and follow up and, uh, see how things are going. Best of luck to you and your wife, Omid. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care.